to return back to the land. In the time of the restoration. Ezra chapter 2, praise the Lord. Amen. Beginning with verse 1. I was pleasantly surprised today to hear that my daughter knew how many verses was in this chapter. She said, there's 70 verses in this chapter. And I said, you got it right on. That means she looked at it beforehand. Preparing for the service tonight. Preparing for 70 verses. Amen. Hallelujah. And I understand her good friend, Annalisa, also was aware of how many verses was going to be taught tonight. Both of them. 70 verses. Well, that's a long chapter, isn't it? It's the longest chapter in the book of Ezra. And there are hardly many chapters in the Bible that are that long. Praise the Lord. So we're going to have a good time tonight. Amen. Thankfully, I'm not going to read every one of them to you. Hallelujah. Because I can't pronounce all of these names anyway. But Ezra chapter 2, we see as last Wednesday, the Lord stirring up people to return back to the land and establishing true worship of God by building him a temple. We see those that are stirred up by the Lord, these people recorded in chapter 2. Uh, the scripture tells us, beginning with verse 1, Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away unto Babylon, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, every one in his city. This is around uh, 536, 537 B.C., when this uh, return takes place under Zerubbabel. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for the inspiration that we will receive tonight from it and through it. And you receive all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, we have a record or genealogy of those who made that long journey, 800 to 900 miles from Babylon over to the land of of Israel to a very, very hot desert and they returned to a mess in order to rebuild and to restore and to enter in the true worship of the living God. In verse 2, the Bible gives us the leadership that went to Jerusalem and Judah. First given is the leadership. Number one, Zerubbabel. So this is the first return. It is under Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel, for your understanding, is in the kingly line of David. Say with me, the kingly line of David. He is the grandson of Jehoiachin that was taken captive, captured, taken captive over into Babylon. The grandson of Jehoiachin, which was in the line of David. So Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiachin, which is... God keeping his promise to David. Keeping the covenant that he made with David. So that everything that God is doing here is based on his covenant promises. So that we have Zerubbabel, 
Now he is nowhere called a king, but he is in the line of the king of David. He is a governor, and this is a discipline from the Lord because of the sins of the people before the captivity that when they're restored back to their land, they would not be a king ruling over them, but they would be under governors. So Zerubbabel, even though he is in the kingly line of David uh, from Jehoiachin, his grandfather, he is not called the king, he is called the governor. But nevertheless, it is a covenant promise of God that is being fulfilled here in the return of Israel back to their land with a man in the line of David, okay? And then in verse 2 as well, we see Jeshua. Jeshua, the next leader recorded. This is Joshua, the high priest. And we will learn more about him as we get into the scriptures. The prophets particularly, like Zechariah especially, in chapter 3 talks about Joshua the high priest. And so here he is called Jeshua. Uh, you would be familiar with the term Yeshua or Jesus. So he has the same name as our Lord and Savior. Jeshua or Joshua or Yeshua, the high priest. Now, Jeshua is a type of, or Joshua is a type of, a king priest ministry that would be seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about him as we get into uh, the book of Ezra, okay? So we have these leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua in this first return. Then we see other leaders recorded here. We have Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah here is not the same Nehemiah as the book that was written by Nehemiah. This is a different Nehemiah. The time frame is different, okay, because we're dealing with 536 to 537 B.C. So it's not the same Nehemiah, but nonetheless, we have a man named Nehemiah who is recorded as a leader that goes up with the people. And then we have Syria, uh, and then we have real Laiah and Mordecai, and Mordecai is not the same Mordecai in the book of Esther. Again, the time is wrong. We have Bilshan, we have Mizpar, we have Bikva, we have Rehum, we have Ba'ana, and the number of the men of the people of Israel. So the leaders are given first. As the leaders go, so go the people. When the leaders move, then the people move. Leadership, if leadership doesn't move, the people don't move. Because the people can only go as high as and will move only as far as the leadership will take them. So if you don't have good leadership in a church, then the church is going to come stale. It's going to stop. It's not going to move, okay? So we see the leaders recorded by the Lord here um, typifying the uh, set man would be in the church, like a pastor, okay? Praise the Lord. But we'll notice there is a plurality of leadership that is given. Now, these things, as we begin to study them tonight, we need to read all these names. We're going to read them all, but if you read them in your leisure time, you read all these names, they become quite boring to you. But you're going to see that this chapter in Ezra is very, very important. In fact, it's one of the most important chapters in the whole book of Ezra, all right? So some things that we may set aside are very, very important to God. You will see that as we study it. So we have the leadership recorded first. And then beginning with verse 3, all the way through verse 35. 
we have the people, what you would call the ordinary people or those that make up the congregation. Okay? So the leadership's given and then the names of the congregation of, of the normal people or the ordinary people you might call. Some people call them the laity. I don't like that term. But basically it's the congregation. It's the people of the kingdom of God. And they are recorded beginning with verse 3, the children of Parosh, 2,000 and 172 and then you go to verse 35 and we have the children of Sinaiah 3,630 so that makes up the congregation or the people of the kingdom of God that have gone back and then beginning with verse 36 we come to the priest and the priests are recorded we have four choruses of priests that are recorded now, David set up 24 choruses of priests, but there's only four choruses that have returned with the people back to the land, okay? And then I will come back and I will talk more about this as we go along here, but uh, 36 through 38 gives the names of the priests uh, that went back. And then we come to the Levites. The Levites were the assistants to the priests, gives their name and the number of them. And then verse 41, we have the singers, the worshipers that are recorded here. Are you with me still? Okay, praise the Lord. And then verse 42, we have the gatekeepers. And we'll talk about the significance of each of these as we get to it. But the gatekeepers and their names, etc. And then verse 43, we come to the Nethanims. The Nethanims are the servants, are the slaves that serve in the temple. They are the ones who are assisting the Levites in service of the temple. So the Nethanims, beginning with verse 43. And then we go on through there and we see verse 45. Also, we have the children of Solomon's servants. The children of Solomon's servants. So once again... The servants are put together with the Nethanims. We have the servants of the children of Solomon, and then they're lumped together with the Nethanims, and they make up the temple servants as a whole. So if you'll look at uh, that, you will see. Um, read down just a little bit further. Verse 58 says, All the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants were 392. So those are put together, the Nethanims and the children of Solomon. Their servants are put together and they make up the servants in the temple. All right, you there? Okay, from that, then we have the record here of some three families of priests that cannot prove their record or their ancestry. And I'm going to come back and I'll explain this in more detail, but I want to break it down, give you an overview first. Three orders, uh, three families that cannot produce their registry or the proof that they are priests. So we see them, verse 59, these were they which went up from uh, Tel Mela, uh, and I'm not going to read all of this, uh, and it goes on down through verse 60, and then uh, verse 61, the Bible says in verse 62, these sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, were they as polluted put forth from the priesthood. So we have three different families here who cannot prove 
that they are a part of the priesthood and so they are uh, removed from that office and also the rights that the office bring. Okay? And then verse 63, we have the Tirshata, which is the governor. And uh, this could be Zerubbabel or it could also be the individual that we read about in the first chapter. Let me see if I can find his name. Yes, in verse 8, Shesh Baazar. Shesh Baazar. Uh, that could be him or it could be Zerubbabel. He's called the Tirshata, which means the governor. Said unto them in verse 63 that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. And we'll explain that in more detail, okay? You understand that? All right, then we come down here and we are given in 64 on, we are given the total number of the congregation that returned back uh, at this time, okay? And that total number will be 49,897. And we'll talk about that as well, okay? And not only that, but in verse 66, it also talks about the horses and the mules, so on and so forth, camels, verse 67 the asses, so on and so forth, the animals, the beast of burden, that also return with the people. And then verse 68, we're given a record of some people who were givers. They were givers, and their desire was to give an offering to the Lord for the construction of the house of God. And so we see that beginning in verse 68. Some of the chief of the fathers, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, offered freely to the house of God to set it up in his place. They gave after their ability unto the treasures of the work three score one thousand drums of gold, five thousand pounds of silver, one hundred priest garments. So the priest and the Levites and some of the people and the strangers and the porters and the Nethanims dwelt in their cities and say with me and all Israel in their cities. Say with me all Israel in their cities. Very important. All right, let's break it down tonight. So now you know what the chapter is about. Amen. Okay, verse 2, as I said, we have the leadership given first, Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the great high priest, and other leaders that are mentioned. And then we go through a long list of those that are part of the kingdom of God, a part of the family of God. Now, it is very difficult when you begin to go through these names to be able to pronounce the names. Amen. And I'm not going to try. And the difficulty comes in the fact that Hebrew names are hard anyway to pronounce. And when you translate them into the English, okay, and then you take the Persian and the Babylonian languages because they have just come out of Babylonian captivity and out of Persia. And you take those languages of Babylon and Persia and you mix it with the Hebrew and you come up with these names. These names are very, very difficult uh, to pronounce. So I'm not going to try to do that. And I'm sure you're glad of that tonight. Because that would mean I'd be reading every one of these verses. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, but it is important to understand, even though we may not take the time to read every one of them tonight and study every one of them tonight, it is important to know that God has a place for everybody. And ultimately, what this is teaching you is that God is building His church and that God has a place for everybody in that church. And, it, and that every person that is recorded here, I'm sure at the time that they made their return back to Israel, that they did not think in their mind that God would write the registry of their name. 
But God writes a registry of the people's names who return back because these people are important to God. Amen. Even the people that are in the congregation are important to God. Not just the leaders or the priests or the Levites or the, the singers and the Nephilim, the servants and so on and so forth. But everybody that's in the kingdom of God here recorded is important to God. So that even though we may not know who they are, when we stand before judgment day, each one of these people are going to be rewarded for what they have done in the kingdom of God. So God wants you to know tonight that you are very important to him no matter who you are. And that every one of you have a place in his church. And it's important for you to find out what that place is. What does God want me to do in his kingdom? What does God want me to do in his church? You are important to the church. And so God knows you by name, even though you may seem insignificant. You're not insignificant. You're very important to God. So you have a place. Say praise the Lord. Now, in order to be a part of the kingdom of God or the congregation, the covenant congregation, number one, every one of these people had to be born into the covenant community. Okay? If you were in the covenant community, you had to be born into it. You had to be birthed into it. Okay, you just couldn't just say one day, hey, I'd like to be a part of that covenant. You had to be born into that covenant, into that community. And if you were a foreigner, you had to become a proselyte and be circumcised. Okay? So in order to be a part of this covenant community, you had to be born into it. And everything that happens in this is for a reason. So God talks about the families. He calls them by family name first, okay? And then he'll talk about the land where they're returning back to. So you're going to have to read it. I hope every one of you read the chapter before we have service tonight so you know what I'm talking about. But he calls them by name. He puts them in families. Say praise the Lord. And then he talks about the land they're restored back to. Now that's very important for you to understand because what we're seeing in the Bible then is a new start, a new beginning, okay? The people are returning out of captivity to their land. God's given them a genesis. He's given them a new beginning. He's given them a new start. So he talks about the families, the families, okay? Just like Genesis would. Genesis talked about the family, the creation of man and the descendants of Adam and so on and so forth, the family. In Acts chapter 1, we have the beginning of the church. So when we get to Ezra, we're having a new beginning. We're having a genesis. It's a picture of the church coming together, the kingdom of God coming together and families being born into the kingdom. And so the emphasis, first of all, is on families so that U.S. families, individual families, a part of a larger group, a larger covenant community of people should be spending time together. You should be praying together. Amen. The mother, the father of that family should be teaching the children the word of God. Amen. Raising up that family in the nurture and admonition of God Almighty. Because when you talk about the church, the church is a huge family. But it's made up, as the Bible is showing us here, individual families. So that these individual families have a responsibility in the covenant community to uh, teach the children the ways of God. And I'm sure all of you do that. I'm sure that you have prayer time together. You have times where you read the Bible together. Maybe not. 
Well, maybe you do. Okay, praise the Lord. But that's what the family is supposed to do. It's the nucleus of the church. Individual family. You're supposed to have a relationship with God at home, not just when you come to church. So God starts with the church, with the with the families that make up the church, because He's emphasizing a genesis. He's emphasizing a new beginning, a new start. Okay, and we literally have a new start in the history of redemption in the book of Ezra, with the people returning back to their land. God is establishing them in the land so that the Messiah can come and redeem the world. Okay. Without that restoration, there would be no Messiah. So these families are, are recorded, and they're recorded, first of all, by family. And then you will see, as you read through the chapter, you will see the cities or the towns where they lived, where the families lived. This teaches another important truth, and that is restoration. Say with me, restoration. Now, for a Jew to not have a homeland, for a Jew to wander around throughout the world is a very, very hard thing. Because what it teaches is that the Jew is no longer in favor with God. If they don't, you see, with us, United States of America, we love America, but with the Jews, it's different. If they don't have a home, if they don't have a town, if they don't belong to a land, a place like that, where they can call their own, then they understand in their mind that they don't have the favor of God upon them. That they've lost the favor of God and so on and so forth. So as you go on through the chapter, you will see the towns that they are restored back to. What that's teaching you is the forgiveness of God. That the Jews now have received the forgiveness of their sins from the Lord. They are now put back in their land and as a result of that, they can call that land their own and they know at that point that the favor of God rests upon them. When the Jew is out of their land, when, the, the, when Israel is not a nation, that means that they're not under God's favor. Okay? And they've been put out of the land because of sin. So for God to bring them back by family, record them by family, and then show you where they're living, the towns that they're living in, is to teach you that God is restoring them, their sins are forgiven, and now the favor of God is upon them, and they're not wandering around homeless. They belong. Say praise the Lord. Okay, so are you glad tonight that you have a place? Everybody needs a place. Everybody needs a place where they belong. And this chapter here is teaching you about families in the covenant community. It's teaching you about the places where they went back to. It's teaching you that you have to have a place. How many of y'all have a place tonight? I'm glad that we have a church. So you, own, you have your own homes that you live in. Praise God. But you have a church. And that church is, when you come to church, you're saying, I belong to something. I belong to Jesus Christ. I belong to a church. Everybody needs a church that they belong to. Everybody's looking for a place to belong to. How many of you want to belong? So when you talk about these Jews by family names, going back to their towns, what it's saying is God is saying to you tonight that you need to belong to His church. You need to belong to the covenant community of believers in the kingdom of God and you need a place where you can come together and you can worship where you can build the temple of the Lord, where you can build the things of God, 
Well, you could build the church of God. Everybody needs a place they need to belong, especially when it comes to the things of God. And that place is where there is proper leadership. That's why the Bible gives us the leaders first. Because if you're going to have a land, you're going to have families that are in this covenant community, you've got to have leaderships leading that church, leading that congregation. So God puts those or places those over that congregation. He's getting everything in order. He's getting everything in place when they go back home, family by family, and return to their, to their towns. And God is saying, you belong here, and there's going to be order here, and I'm going to establish leadership here. And that leadership is not going to be one-man leadership. It's going to be a plurality of leadership. And I'm going to set everything in order. Amen. And when you get back, you're going to establish the true worship of the living God in your life. And you're going to feel like you belong again. You're a part of something. And it's a part being a part of the kingdom of God Almighty. Somebody asked me not long ago, how, I wonder how it feels to uh, not live for the Lord. I, I can't imagine that. I've been living for the Lord for over 30 years now. I cannot imagine a life lived without living for God. Where you wander aimlessly, amen, out of God's favor, unforgiven, your sins haven't been forgiven, you're lost, you're headed to a, a Christless eternity, you know, and you don't have any church that you belong to in this time. I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, to be that kind of a person, you know. And so God is teaching us the value of having a church and being born into a covenant community and raising your families up in the things of God. And the city of the town that you live in is Bible Center Fellowship right now until God moves you somewhere else. And it is so important that you have that in your life because that brings stability and it shows the favor of God in your life. It shows you've been forgiven of your sins if you're a part of that. But if you're out there a wanderer, you're a vagabond, and you're just wandering all over the place, and you don't belong anywhere. You don't belong to a church. Amen. Are you with me? You don't have proper leadership over your life to, to lead you and guide you in the things of God. That is a miserable, miserable life. So this chapter is teaching you many things about the way God uh, wants you to operate in His kingdom. He wants leadership in your life. He wants you to be under leadership. He wants you to be led. He wants you to be guided. Amen. So he puts emphasis on that. And then he says family by family. Focus on your families. Focus on knowing God. Raising your children in the things of God. And then he focuses on the towns where they live. That's the church. Make sure you belong to a church. That you really belong. Amen. That you're not just coming here. But you really belong here. How many of y'all want to belong? How many of you are glad that you do belong? See, I can tell you tonight, I'm a member of Bible Center Fellowship. But I'm also a member of the body of Christ. But we have distinguished, distinct cities that are recorded here that shows us that there's different churches, but it's one covenant community. But you have to have a place where you belong. Now, just because you're here tonight, doesn't mean that you're really here. You can walk through the door, you can sit down, and you can be bored, ho-hum and all that. Or you can come in here and say, this is my city. This is my town. I'm not a wanderer, thank God. I'm not aimless out there in the world without God. I've got a purpose. I belong to something. I can say I belong to something. 
when somebody comes to you and says, well, what church do you go to? You say, I go to Bible Center Fellowship. That means something, church, to be able to say that you belong to Bible Center Fellowship. That means something. It may not mean too much to us because we don't look at it like the Jew does. But for the Jew to have a place to belong, to have a town that he could call his own hometown, you know, uh, that his, his parents talked to, to them earlier in life. You know, there was an apple tree that was right there or, or an orange tree, you know, that grew right out there by that fence. And, and they could identify with the history of that town because their parents were raised up there. Hallelujah. Praise God. And now the seed of those, uh, of those parents are back in the land and they can relate to belonging to some place and not being captive and out there in the world. You understand what I'm trying to get across to you? So that's what this is teaching you. Now, uh, I don't know if you knew that's in here, but that's what this is teaching you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Everybody catch your breath. Take a deep breath. And I'll go in a little bit further here about the setup or the arrangement that God has established in the chapter. But look at verse 23 particularly. I want to talk to you just for a moment about some people that came from... of Anath, Anath, This is a hard word for me to say. Anathoth. The men of Anathoth. It's interesting that they are recorded here. 128. Nice group, nice size of people here from Anathoth. Now... That might not mean much to you either, but in Jeremiah chapter 32, we saw the prophet Jeremiah do something very unusual. The prophet Jeremiah went and bought a field in Anathoth, right at the time of the captivity, right when they were going to be taken off into another land. God tells Jeremiah to go and buy a piece of property. Let's go there and look at it in Jeremiah 32. Now, I apologize. I probably should have told y'all last week to read ahead of me. My daughters did. I say my daughters, my spiritual daughter and my natural and spiritual daughter read ahead and found there were 70 verses here. And uh, so I I figured that y'all probably already read all this on your own so you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, in case you didn't, I'm doing my best to, to fill in the blanks for you. Jeremiah 32 and verse 36, we see the Lord tells Jeremiah to go and buy a field in Anathoth. In verse 6, the word in Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Okay? So God gives him a word before it happens. And he says, Your uncle's going to come. And when he comes, he says, Jeremiah, I want you to buy this field in Anathoth. Okay? Now, this is a a very unusual thing because they're fixing to go into captivity. Why would you buy land and you're fixing to be taken captive? Would you buy real estate at that time? Well, God is telling Jeremiah to buy that land. He tells him in advance his uncle's going to come. He's to buy that field, right? In verse 8, So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that it was the word of the Lord. Got that? So the Lord told him what was going to happen. And so he knew, knew it was God because as soon 
as God gave him the word, here comes his uncle. Okay, I would like to ask for everybody's attention at this moment, and I'm going to be very kind to you and very, very generous to you tonight. I'm not going to call you out by name. I'm not going to point you out by name, but I need your attention, okay? Some of you young ladies are sitting together, and that's fine with me, but you're going to have to pay attention to the word of God. And I'm going to be talking back and forth, playing games, okay? But I'm going to be kind to you and generous and not call you by name, okay? So I want your attention. I'm asking you if I'm preaching the word of God to you. It's not comic book. This is God's word, okay? You might be bored with it, but that's that's all right. It's God's word. You need to pay attention to God's word, okay? God forgive me that I hadn't even stopped to do that. All right, so the word of the Lord's coming to pass, just like God said he would uh, do. In verse 9, Jeremiah bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son that was in Amathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witness and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. See, it was sealed and it was open at the same time. And then he takes the evidence and he puts it into an earthen vessel and goes on and tells us in that chapter that God is telling Jeremiah to do that because God is going to restore Israel back to the land. So Jeremiah is responding by faith, even though there's going to be a 70-year captivity. Jeremiah is buying a piece of land right before they go into captivity because God is telling him, the prophet, I'm going to bring them back to this land. So buy this land, and when they come back, it'll be theirs. So when we go to Ezra, we see the fulfillment of this. In verse 23, the men of Anathoth, 128, they make their way back to the land of Israel. And when they get there, they have a plot of land that was purchased by Jeremiah that was rightfully theirs. And he did it by faith. He sealed it. It was sealed inside and it was sealed on the outside and it was put in an earthen vessel. And that speaks of holiness, outward holiness and inward holiness. And it's redeemed. It's a picture of you and I being redeemed and purchased. Amen. By faith. And we're holy on the outside and they were holy on the inside. Praise God. So when these men return back, they have a right to that plot of land that Jeremiah brought, uh, bought uh, just as God told him to by faith. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Okay, now let's go down a little bit further here. We have the congregation recorded. And... Uh, we see the priests in verse 36 that are given. Now, what is interesting here in verse 36, we have the priest. We have the leadership, then we have the congregation, then we have the priest. So you may set it up like this. I'm going to give it just as an, an opinion, an idea. The leadership that's recorded in verse 2 would represent the set man in church. And then the priests would represent eldership in the church. Okay? So we see the priest here recorded. The elders or the set man would be seen in the governor and the high priest Joshua. Now we see the regular priest, and it gives us four choruses here in these verses. Now it's important that the congregation is going to go back to the land, family by family, town by town, and their purpose is to build the temple to worship God. It's important that there are priests there, that there are men of God. You've got leadership, but you need priests. You need eldership. 
You have the set men, but you need eldership as well because they are going to be a part of the church, leading the church in the worship and the things of God and teaching them the word of God. Priests were to keep the law in their mouth and they were to teach the people the word of God. So it would be important if you're going to go back and establish the true worship of God in the land that you have men of God like these to teach you the word of the living God. Now, what is interesting is only four courses out of 24 courses that David set up are returning. Now, I'm thankful for the four courses that are returning. You know, but that's not very many. That means 20 courses did not return. And, and that shows you, number one, it shows you the apostate condition of the church. That only four out of 20 courses of priests would return back to the land to establish the true worship of God and build the temple of the Lord. And the other 20 priests, for some reason, they're not returning. They haven't come back. Um, is it because they were neglected in Babylon? Uh, is it because they are backslid? The Bible doesn't tell us. But the scripture tells us that only four out of the 24 courses of David, only four of them returned back. And when you take the total calculation of all the priests that went up, you have 4,289 priests. 4,289 priests. Now, it's interesting because the total amount of people that returned back was just a little less than 5,000. Are you with me? Look at the uh, latter verses here. In 64, it says the whole congregation was 42,303 score. And then we have 7,337. And then we have 200 singers for a total of 49,897 people that returned. Now, that's not a very big congregation of people. But these are the ones the Bible says were stirred up by God. They were stirred up by the Lord to return. 4,289 priests and 49,897 people. So we don't have a lot of people returning. Probably, you know, a tenth of the people that are actually in Babylon, maybe less than that, are actually going back in the first return with Zerubbabel and Joshua. That's not very many people. Only 10% want to get out of pagan lands. Only 10% want to get out of the land that worship idols. Only 10% want to leave the land of confusion, Babylon. Approximately 10, maybe even less than that, want to return home. And only four courses of priests are going back. So in one sense, it, it's, it's a sad situation. But on the other hand, because it's a book about restoration and return and God keeping His covenant and keeping His promise and fulfilling the prophecies, on that hand, it's a good thing. And also, these are the people that God stirred up. It wasn't just the leadership that God stirred up, but it was all these people in the congregation from verse 3 to verse 35 that were stirred up by God to return. They had some things to do in the kingdom. They were going to be busy. It wasn't just Zerubbabel and Zechariah and Nehemiah and Mordecai and the others that would be busy serving God. It'd be all these other people from verse 3 to verse 35 in the covenant community, the family of God, the church, if you will. They would be busy and I know that because the Bible says God stirred them up. God had something for them to do when they got back. And that was to, to build the temple and restore true worship of God. Amen.
So it's sort of a negative positive here. But I also, I think it's really awesome when you see what God does. 4,289 priests. And how many people returned? 49,000. Look how proportionate that is. It's almost, look at this, you have the priest, about 10%, 10%. Okay, so you have the congregation of people, but about 10% priest. If you take the numbers, you got about 10%, a, a numerical value of 10%. So 10, 10 people to one priest. And so what this teaches me, even though it's a negative, positive, it teaches me that God is proportionate. He's very proportionate. So in a congregation of people, you're going to see this. You're going to see a proportionate. You're going to see a number of people. And as the church grows, there will be a proportionate amount of ministry that God raises up for that church in order for that church to function properly as a church. Are anybody listening to me? Anybody here tonight listening to me? Anybody listening to me? I'll take anybody I can get tonight that's not distracted by children and everything else. I'll take anybody that I can. You understand? So it's important to understand the way God works. He establishes leadership. He establishes a congregation of people. And then He establishes a proportionate amount of ministry for the number of people in that congregation because He is a God of order. Amen? He's a God of order. Now, if we are ever going to grow as a church the way God wants us to grow, there's going to have to be leaders. Men that are willing. Men or women that have been stirred by God to be leaders. To, to do the things of God. And, uh, you know, I've got a few bites, you know, here and there, so to speak. Uh, on the bait, a few of, uh, of people in here in the church that feel like that they're called into ministry, but I haven't had anybody really take it and run with it. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I, I don't know. I, I, God's the one that calls people, not me. But I have to believe at some point that proportionately, proportion, because God has a God of proportion, He's going to raise up the number of leaders in this house that's going to be needed for the amount of people that's going to be in the church. And and I'm to be honest with you, I may have to wait for some of these young men to grow up. We may have to wait for them to grow up. And they start telling Pastor, I really feel called to God. I mean, and they don't just tell me that, but they really go at it. And they go for it. And they take the steps to become that in the church. Now, and I'm not putting down any anybody that may has may have come to me and talked to me about being a leader, but you haven't really stepped up to the plate yet. No, I know what it's like because I know when, when I was called to be a pastor of the church, I went straight to my pastor and I said, I'm called to be a pastor of a church. I know I am. God called me. And I said, I want you to tell me exactly what I knew to become that. And I got the, the list and everything that was required for me to become a pastor of a church. And I prepared myself. I studied. And the preaching requirements that were given, from, given to me, uh, even though the pulpit in my local church wasn't open to me all the time to preach, I went and looked for a place to preach. And I preached all over West Texas so that I would qualify to become a pastor. Okay, so you come and you talk to me. I'm called to preach. I know what it's like when somebody's really called to preach. 
Because I've been there. And, and, and to go to that pastor and said, I'm called to preach, pastor. Tell me what I need to do. And I went at it. I said, I went at it. I worked hard uh, to, to become what I felt God called me to do. So I appreciate all of those here tonight who claim their call. But if you really are, you're going to start moving that direction. You're going to get with it. You're going to, you're going to start doing what's required. You're going to, you're going to, we're going to see it in you that yes, you really are. You really mean business. That it's not, you're not looking to be a weekend soldier. Amen. I appreciate the National Guard, but they're weekend warriors. And I'm looking forward to a time when we don't just have the National Guard. We have more than just weekend warriors, somebody that'll preach from time to time. We got somebody that's ready. I'm ready to take it. I'm ready to do the work. I'm, re- I'm, I'm called. I want to go with it. I want to do what I got to do. I want to make it happen. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so I'm looking forward to that day, but we haven't seen that yet. And that's all right. Because maybe you're just young and you need to get to that place. But I was only five years in the church when God called me. Five years. I remember an altar. I got up. I was laying. I was sitting in an altar praying. And, I, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to pastor. And I got right up from that altar and I went straight to it. And I've never looked back. Never looked back. And I love all of you who claim to be called, but I'm just telling you, if you really are, you're going to have that zeal. Ain't nothing going to stop you from fulfilling it. If God has called you to that kind of ministry, there's nothing going to stop you. You're going to get with it. You're going to get busy. Say praise the Lord. And I'm trying to teach this to you so you'll understand that God is a proportionate God. That He sets leadership and He sets a number of people who stirred a number of people to be in the congregation. And then He sets a certain number of priests only four choruses, though, and they are proportionate to the amount of people that are there. I'm just telling you as a pastor, we will never become a large church with one pastor leading the church. There has to be multiple leaders that rise up in this house that prepare themselves to be leaders in this house, ministry leaders in this house that will rise up and say, we want to do the work of ministry. And pastor, our goal is not to be part-time ministers. Our goal is to be full-time ministers. Praise the Lord. But you've got to make that commitment. And, and listen, it wasn't forced. And I'm not forcing anybody. It wasn't forced on these people. It wasn't forced on the 49,897 people that returned. It wasn't forced on any of the priests that were part of that number. It wasn't forced on the leadership to be leaders. The, you know, Zerubbabel and Joshua and those leaders in verse 2 didn't have to go back. These people didn't have to go back. Amen. These four courses of priests didn't have to go back. But they did because God stirred them up. He stirred their hearts. And because God put it in their heart, God's hand was on them. They got up and they said, let us go. Let us build the temple. Let us build the church. Let us set the order of true worship of the true living God in Jerusalem again. And they had to make that decision. And I can't make that decision for any of you here tonight. But there's a need. There's a need. If we want to stay small, 
Okay. Then the Lord will set in the house proportionately the leader to the congregation. I can't take care of a thousand people. You understand? There has to be other leaders that God's going to raise up. If I'm if I have a vision for this church to be bigger than what it is, then I also have to have a vision for leaders to help me with the people. Amen. Because God is a proportionate God. That now that might not be important to you, but that's important to me. It's important for me to understand that I cannot take care of a thousand people, five hundred people, three hundred people. You understand? So I ask you, church, to start praying. I ask some of you who maybe feel called into the ministry, uh, you know, to start praying about this and get serious about this. If we're ever going to grow into what God wants us to be, it has to be more than just one pastor. It has to be a multiple leadership that's set in this house to do the work of God. Do you understand what the Bible is showing you here? Say, praise the Lord. And like I told you, I think it was Sunday morning, I said, I'd love to be able to take some somebody and set them, make them number two man or whatever. I'd love to be able to do that. But we're just not there yet. You know what I'm saying? Praise God. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. Do you hear your pastor? Do you hear my heart? I'm bringing the Bible to you. So God is showing you a proportionate thing here. 49 plus thousand people, uh, 4,289 priests. Okay? Say amen. And these priests, I believe, represent eldership. Say praise the Lord. Now, maybe what I'm preaching tonight and what I'm saying tonight is going to stir somebody to, to step up and say, I'm, I've been talking about it for a long time. It's time for me to do it. It's time for me to move. I'm ready to go. All right? Say praise the Lord. We move from the priest and then we move into from there the Levites. Now the Levites were the assistants to the priest. And Levites did the service of the temple. They did the work of the temple. Say amen. The Levites also from time to time taught the people the word of the Lord. So you have the priest and then you have their assistants, the Levites that are recorded. Now notice the Levites, very small number of Levites. Very small number that have returned. Look at it, please. In verse 40 says, the Levites, the children of Jeshua and Cadmiel, the children of Hadaviah, 70 and 4. That's all that returned. 74 assistants for 4,289 priests. That's not very many. 74. There were more singers that return back then assistant preachers 74 only return I told you it's a negative positive and then verse 41 we got the singers the children of Asaph 128 more singers more worship leaders than we had Levites I wonder why that is. Well, the Bible tells me they were stirred up by the Lord. Singers. Well, 
there's gonna, they're going to have a lot to be praising God about. A lot to be singing about when they get back to the temple. Go to Psalm. See if I can get you a Psalm here. And show you the atmosphere. In, verse, in Psalm 126, verse 2, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. So they've come back to the land, their mouth is filled with laughter, their tongues with singing. You've got a lot to praise God about, a lot to sing about. So we have 128 singers, worship leaders, people stirred up by God to go back and to be a part of the work of God. And then from there, in verse uh, 42, we have the gatekeepers. Now, they might not seem too important. Have a doorkeeper, somebody to watch the door, but they're very important. Now, I've already told you you have to be born into the covenant community of God. You have to be born into it. But then there is a protection over that covenant community. It has to be protected from those who would be disruptive in the church. No matter how big the church is, at this point it's a small church in comparison to all the people of Israel that were in Babylon. It's a small church. But you've got gatekeepers, you've got porters. People that are going to protect the doors. People that are going to make sure that not everybody is allowed to come in. Because if you let everybody that comes in, you know, just stay in the house without being born again, without being birthed in the covenant community. What you need to understand is that anybody that is an enemy of God will be an enemy to the people of God. So that's why you need doorkeepers. You need people to protect who is allowed to come in and who is allowed not to come in. Now, obviously, we're a church and we want everybody to come. Who's her will? Let them come. We invite them. We want them to come. But if they start disrupting the house, the door closes. Because there has to be doorkeepers that protect the church. You understand? The, the worship of the church. The order of the church, the leadership, the government of the church, the congregation has to be protected from disruptive people. People who are in the enemies of Christ who will become the enemies of you. So you need to be thankful for insignificant people like doorkeepers. People that watch the door, spiritually speaking. And I'm watching all the time for strange situations, you know. And I've got other people that watch all the time. I have set, I've set them in strategic places. Strategic places. So if there's any disruption that takes place in the church, amen, any problems, they know what to do. I've got them set in strategic places. You understand what I'm saying? And the reason why that is is because you have to protect the integrity of the church. You have to protect the values of the church. You have to protect the doctrine of the church. You have to protect... Amen. What the church is all about. If you don't, the church will lose its character. And there's a certain character that we in this church want to represent. And you get some people in here and I'm going to tell you something. They'll try to, to change the whole thing that we're doing here. 
They'll try to change the atmosphere, the dress, the attitude, the spirit, everything. And I'm, I'm not kidding. That's their agenda. Is to make the church like them instead of the church making them like the church. And so, if the values of the church, the character of the church, the doctrine of the church, the church as a whole is to be what it should be in this end times. It has to have gatekeepers. People, people who are protecting the gate. Say praise the Lord. So I'm thankful for these porters or these gatekeepers that have come, willingly come, and their, all, their whole purpose in the kingdom of God is to be a watcher at the door. That's it. That's all they do. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Gatekeepers. You don't think that's important to God? Really? Look in the book of Revelation. You've got angels standing at the gates in the New Jerusalem. They're not going to let any demon, any devil, any strange flesh, idolatry, liars, dogs, which are homosexual. Those angels are not going to let those kind of people through those gates. They're gatekeepers. And so God, God has angels as gatekeepers, reporters in, in the New Jerusalem. And so these men made their way back by choice, being stirred up by God because they knew they were going to have to protect the entrance into the church. Are you with me so far? So we have the set men in verse 2. We have the priests. We have the Levites, the assistants to the priests, which the elders, assistants to the elders. And now we've got some gatekeepers, people that are protecting the doors. Maybe you could call those ushers. Say ushers. Now we might put we might put a a priest or a Levite at the door. Amen. Might put a leader at the door, but nonetheless they are the protectors of those who enter into the house that would disrupt it or destroy it. I will repeat myself. If anybody is an enemy of God, they will be an enemy of the people of God. Okay, so, and, and we're not trying to uh, police, be policemen in your life or whatever, but I want to tell you, surprise, if people are watching you. Young people, don't be surprised if the leaders in this church got their eye on you to see what you're all about. You start disrupting the, the things of God, the order of God, the values of God in the church, you start disrupting that, there are gatekeepers that will make sure that we bring you in line. Because that's the way it has to be. Because you don't want every devil, every demon, every human being walking through the doors, man. You won't have a church anymore. You'll just have a, you know, just a bunch of goats in the church. So God is a God of order. He makes sure they even got in place gatekeepers. Then from, from there, verse 43, we have the Nethanims. Now, what is interesting about the Nethanims is if you read through the names of the Nethanims, they don't sound Hebrew. And the reason why they don't sound Hebrew is because they're foreigners. Okay? There are many of them uh, Gentiles. And so, are y'all here tonight? And, and Ezra 8.20 makes reference to the Nethanims. Also the Nethanims whom David and the princes had appointed for the service of the Levites. So these Nethanims assist the Levites. 220 Nethanims, all of them were expressed by name. Now, I'm not going to go through the Bible and try to teach every verse about the Nethanims, but they were basically, if you go to, we can go to Joshua 9, 
and we will see some people by the name of the Gibeonites. All right, Joshua 9. And if you have time, read this whole chapter so you'll know what we're talking about. But these are, this is about the Gibeonites who deceived Joshua, basically. And uh, the Bible tells us what he did with them. Verse 27, Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. All right? So verse 3 of the same chapter, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they, they did work wilily. They, they got a strategy. They disguised themselves. They tricked Joshua. Joshua should have went and, uh, to God and got uh, God's wisdom. He should have went to the oracle of God to find out what God was saying about these people. He didn't do it. And as a result of that, he was deceived by them. Uh, and to make a long story short, you can read about it. He appoints them as hewers of wood and drawers of water for the temple. So when we get into the Nethanims now, we're dealing with foreigners. They're not Hebrews. They're not Jewish. They're Gentiles that <clears throat> were converted. Okay? They were circumcised. They were proselytes. Foreigners. And they were used as slaves in the house of the Lord, the temple service of God. All right? And so they are a type of the Gentile church coming to the kingdom of God. The Bible says they are cutters of wood, which is for the fire and the sacrifices, and they are hewers of water. They gathered the water. Praise God. I won't preach that to you tonight, but that's who the Nephilims are. Okay? They're the assistants to the Levites. And at this point, when you get into the Levites, you get into Nephilims, and, and then it goes on and tells us that the sons of Solomon... Their servants were also involved in the service of the temple in this manner. Now you're getting into the area of deacons because deacons are concerned about the temple, the service of the temple, like the Levite would be, or the Nethanims. They're concerned about the work of the temple. Praise God. Now, are y'all here tonight? But it even moves beyond the deacons. Okay? Maybe, the, maybe you could say the Levites are a picture of the deacons. But then you move to the Nethanims and the servants of the sons of Solomon, the servants, the slaves. They're involved in the work of the Lord. Now, praise God, not every one of you here today is, is the set man in the church. Not every one of you is an elder, a priest. Not every one of you is a deacon like a Levite. Praise God. But maybe you're like the Nethanims or the servants of the sons of Solomon. The slaves of the temple. Now, I'm not calling you slaves, but I'm just showing you a place. The people who do, they do the work. They mow the yard. They, they clean the church. They, they're busy maintaining the church, the building itself, the grounds of the temple, so on and so forth. That's why I told you, everybody has a place in the kingdom of God. And you need to ask God, Lord, what is my place? What am I supposed to be doing in this covenant community to the church because God has a place for everybody and He's got something for everybody to do. Amen. Say praise God. And as I read to you in Ezra 8, and was it verse 20, I believe, 
It tells you that they were uh, assistants to the Levites David appointed. Okay? Foreigners, Gentiles, circumcised, proselytes, serving in the kingdom of God in the temple of the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Okay, verse 55 talks about the children of Solomon's servants. They're slaves. So on and so forth, and it gives their name. And they are connected, verse 58, with the Nethanians. So you see how organized God is and how proportionate God is. You know, and he's got he's got this 49,000 how many? How many again? 49,897 people have returned to look how God has everything in order. He's got headship. He's got leadership. He's got fellowship. He's got servants. Everybody's in place. God is a God of order. Okay? Everything is right. Now, this, this is the way you can determine if you're running your church right or not. Okay? Because these... These uh, things that we see in the book of Ezra and in Nehemiah and other places are teaching you about the order of God, the way God operates the covenant community. And it's important for you to understand that you have this kind of leadership. Oh, yes. Amen. And this kind of service in the house of the Lord. All right. From there, after he talks about uh, these individuals, he now talks about some people who cannot prove their genealogy. And this is sad. What we have is some people who've gone back with this first company, the first return under Zerubbabel and Joshua, and they claim to be priests. Okay, you claim to be a priest in a congregation, right? Okay. Well, then you need to bring the proof of that, the, the family register. And we need to look at that family register and we need to make sure your pedigree is in place. We need to make sure that your genealogy is connected to the priest. Okay? And uh, if you can't produce that proof of your pedigree, if you can't prove, prove that you are of that genealogy, then you would be removed from that office of priesthood. Okay? And so we have three families here who come that claim to be priests. But verse 62 says, These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted foot from the priesthood. You see how careful God is to maintain order? If you can't prove your pedigree, God says you can't be in the priesthood. Now, Practical application is, do you know you're saved? I didn't say, do you think you're saved? I didn't say, do you hope you're saved? I said, do you know you're saved? If you don't know you're saved, then you can't prove, you can't, you don't have your proof of pedigree. You don't have proof that you're in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You have, it's a no-so salvation. You understand what I'm saying? Tonight you're either saved or you're not saved. There's no such thing as half saved. 
If you're half saved, you're lost. So tonight, everybody that I'm preaching to, and I'm fixing to be done pretty quick, in those 70 verses. Everybody here tonight, are you saved or not? You know without a question. It's not a think so or I hope so. I know. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. That's what he told Timothy when he wrote Timothy. He said, I know, in, I know in whom I believe. I know. He didn't say, I think. He didn't say, I hope. He says, I know who I believe. See? And so, uh, well, praise the Lord. It's pretty easy for us because we have your baptismal record. First, if, if we don't have your baptismal record, then we don't have your registrar, which means we don't have proof of your pedigree or your genealogy of being in the family of God. We don't have proof that you've taken his name. But the good news, because you belong to a place called Bible Center Fellowship, which is a town where families of God in a covenant community come, where they know they belong. Hallelujah. And I talked about that earlier. We got your baptismal record. So it's pretty easy for us to check out your pedigree. You walk up and say, I'm a child of the king. I said, you've been baptized in Jesus' name? I don't know. Okay. Well, hallelujah. Uh, we have proof back here of those who have been baptized in Jesus' name. We have their register back there. And uh, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. That's the evidence from God that you have His Spirit, is that you speak with other tongues. That's the proof from God. So it's easy for us tonight as a church, a pastor, you know, leadership, whatever, to determine whether or not you are truly priest or not. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. we got the record of your baptism. And many of you have actually gone so far is to put your name in the register of Bible Center Fellowship. That you you claim I belong to this church. And we won't let you do that. We won't we won't let you do that if you're not baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. We won't let you do that. You need the Holy Ghost speaking into the tongues. Praise God. To be a part of the church of the living God. So it's easy for us to determine whether or not your pedigree is in place. We don't have that in place. You come in here and you claim all kinds of things. But where's the proof? You say, well, pastor, I, I was baptized in another church in Jesus' name. Bring me the paper. Bring me the paper. Bring me the certificate. Get your former pastor to call me and verify your pedigree. Because until we verify your register, your pedigree, your genealogy, we're not just going to take your word. We can't. According to the Word of God, we got to have proof that you're in the family of God. How many of you know that you know that you know that you're in the family of God? I know in whom I believe. I've been baptized in His name. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but they haven't speak with other tongues. Praise God. It's a no-so salvation. It's not a think-so. It's not a hope-so. It's a no-so salvation. If you don't know tonight, you're saved. You better do everything you need to do that God has asked you to do to be saved. Praise God. How many of you know that you're saved? You know. 
I know in whom I believed. But these people couldn't produce that register. Amen? And so they're put out of the priesthood. And then the Tirashata, I love that name. Tirashata. Man, he, you, need to, you need to make a soft drink, call it Tirashata. One of them energy drinks, call it Tirashata. I guarantee you, man, you'd sell a lot of that drink, Tirashata. What's in this stuff? That's a, that's a powerful, strong name. It means the governor. And so the governor says, all right, they can't prove their genealogy. They can't prove their pedigree. Amen. So now they are to be put out of the priesthood and they are not to partake of the holy things of God. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Because they, they pollute it. They would pollute it. They are not to eat of the most holy things till they... St- Till there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. You can't prove your pedigree. You can't prove. You don't have the register that proves it. Okay? So, the Tereshatha, the governor says, we're going to wait until the high priest stands up with Urim and Thummim. These are the sacred lots that are carried in the priest's garment. And various uh, teachings from Jewish History tells us how they use those lots. It is believed that they... I'm, I'm really not going to talk a lot about it, but some, some teach that they were used to reflect the light off the golden candlestick. And the golden candlestick hit the breastplate and it went and spelled. But the Hebrew letters were on the menorah and it went and spelt out letter by letter the will of God with the Urim and Thummim. Okay? And, and I don't know the process and I don't know how they did it, but... Some teach that, that those stones, the Urim and Thummim, were used as that, that means uh, lights in perfection. That's what Urim and Thummim means, lights in perfection. And they used that to reflect the light, hit that letter on that candlestick, spelt out the words as it reflected off of the, off the breastplate. I'm not totally sure actually how they did it. Other people think they just took it out of the pouch and uh, they determined yes or no from God. But anyway, without, without knowing for sure exactly how they did it, these were the sacred lots that were used out of the pouch or the dress of the high priest that determined the will of God, yes or no. Okay? So they said, we'll wait for the high priest with the Urim and Thummim, lights and perfections, the sacred lots, to determine uh, what to do here with these people who claim to be priests. We'll let the Lord tell us. Now. Mm. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further with that. That's a great challenge. It's a great challenge. Some people say it wasn't used after the death of the prophets, the older prophets after they died. It was no longer used. Some say, some say, Josephus says they were used in his day. Okay. Uh, I know in the book of Acts that we had lots cast to determine who would take the place of Judas Iscariot. Lots were used in the New Testament church to determine that. But beyond that, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, I don't have a record of lots being used again by the New Testament church. Okay? Praise the Lord. The Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2. They cast lots in Acts chapter 1. After the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, I don't see the using of lots again. Okay? Uh, there, there may be, and I do know of, of somebody that does that today. 
to determine the will of God. They cast lots. Okay, but as far as the Bible is concerned, after Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, I don't see that happening again in the Bible. That's all I'll say. Okay, so praise the Lord. But nonetheless, these uh, people, until that was determined, were put out of the priesthood. They polluted it. We're not allowed to eat of the holy things of God. Now, God, these things are important to God. Very important that your pedigree is in place. How many of your pedigree is in place? Are you thankful? It's important. That's why I told you earlier. It's important that you belong to a church. That, that we know your name and, and it's recorded somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It's in the registrar. We got your birth certificate. You've been birthed in the communi community of believers. You have the values of those believers. The true worship of those believers. You're under the leadership of that community. Okay. And then from there, we close. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I love this chapter. This is an awesome chapter. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. When you look at it, the Bible tells us we have some recorded here that all that came, 49,897 total. Now, when we look at verse 70, it tells us particularly that the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the porters, the Nephonims, dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. Say with me, all Israel. That means in the return under Zerubbabel, okay, the time of the restoration, all the tribes of Israel were accounted for. Because it says all Israel dwelt in their cities. Now, the reason why that's important is because there is a false doctrine out there. It's called the lost ten tribes of Israel. And there was a, an individual that, that taught that, that there were ten lost tribes of Israel, that only Judah and Benjamin returned back to the land, and that the other ten tribes are not accounted for. They're scattered all over the world. And I believe his name was Armstrong. And he established this doctrine of British Israelism that taught Americans was a lost tribe and that you were the tribe of Ephraim. Okay? And they taught that the British, the Englishman, Englishman, was the tribe of Manasseh. It's called British Israelism. That is unscriptural. It cannot be proved. The Bible says they weren't lost. All Israel dwelt in their land. And I, I know I have some of you guys in here you want to come up here and tell me you're an Israelite, you're a Jew, you're of the tribe of this, you're okay. All right. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. Amen. I'm a Jew too, but spiritually, but you're talking about physically. Well, praise the Lord. If, if you can prove it, then we'll believe it. All that, that's all I can say. But this teaching that there were 10 lost, lost tribes is not true. It's unfounded in the scripture. When they made the return, the Bible says all of Israel. And, and praise the Lord, if, if you're a Sephardic Jew, then wonderful. God bless you. Okay. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. 
I'm just telling you there's no such thing as ten lost tribes. And I'm telling you that Americans are not one of the lost tribes and the Englishman is not one of the lost tribes. Okay, say amen. Y'all okay with that? Good. Like You're really going to need that, aren't you? Well, you get one of his disciples knocking on your door and start teaching that. Just go to this one verse right here, verse 70, and it says, "All and all Israel in their cities did you. Okay. So we have the record of the whole congregation here, 49,897 that's given. God, so careful, so careful. He cares about every person, calls them by name. It's in that covenant community of people that were stirred up by God to go back and to build His church and to set the order that He set. And there's all these people willing to go on back. Now, you think about that. That among these, it's, it's an amazing thing. Among these people who returned, you got slaves, Nethanims, Gibeonites, and others <coughs> who were slaves. Well, that tells you something. If you still had slaves and they're in Babylonian captivity, it tells you the Jews are not doing too bad. Okay? They come back after 70 years of captivity. They're doing pretty well. They still got servants. And they come back. Well, you see the money they bring. They're very wealthy. And they are like that initially. They are very wealthy and they're doing very well initially until they start neglecting the house of God. So when they start neglecting the house of God, then God brings stripes. They're doing real good at the beginning. But you think about the Nethanims and the servants of the sons of Solomon. Slaves. Praise God. I want you to think about that. They're not even Hebrews. They're not even Jews. But they make a decision to leave Babylon, travel 800 miles through a hot desert to go and serve the Lord God of Israel as proselytes to cut wood to draw water to do all the menial tasks of the temple what they're saying spiritually is I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked that's what David said better to be a slave in the temple of the Lord than to be a free man in a pagan land. That's the way they looked at it. I'd rather be a slave in the temple of the Lord than a free man in a pagan land. And so these slaves, the Nethanim and the, the servants of the sons of Solomon made that decision to go back and be a slave in the, in the house of God. It was better to them to be that than to be free in a, in a pagan land. I agree with them, don't you? Hallelujah. Whatever the Lord wants me to do, he, He's called me, I guess. I think, I hope. I'm not supposed to think or hope, am I? I'm supposed to know. To, to pastor. But whatever He wants me to do, if He wants me to be a doorkeeper, I'm, I'm fine with that. I really am. But I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the houses of the wicked. That's what David said. I'd rather be a slave in the house of my God than to be a free man in a pagan land. 
Some of you might not have that, but I, I had that. How many of y'all feel the same way? And you know what? Can I tell you something? There may come a time when you'll be offered your freedom in a pagan land. The enemy will come to you and say, why don't you be free of the church? Be free from the church. You don't, you don't have to go to church anymore. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to be a, a love slave or a bond slave, Brother Chris. You don't have to do that. Be free. Go to the world. Live in the world. You'll get your opportunity to make that decision. Every one of you here in this church will get that opportunity to make that decision. Do you want to be a free man in a pagan world? Or do you want to be a slave in the house of God? I want to make the decision they made. I'd rather be a slave in the house of my God than a free man in a pagan world. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the lost, the wicked. They willingly chose to be a love slave, a bond slave. Small number of people, but praise the Lord. The return, restore, restoration, covenant community, covenant promises come to pass. A governor and a line of David fulfilling the covenant. David. It's all based on covenant. God did what he did based on covenant. Promises he made concerning the land. He made promises concerning the land. He made promises concerning the king. These are all based on what he does. He didn't just do it to do it. He did it based on the covenant, based on the promise. Amen. So now they've made the return. They're back happy, singing. What's Psalm 126, verse 2? It was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Oh, they were happy. Happy to serve God. Happy, happy. Don't even have a, don't even have a temple yet. Don't even have a church yet, if you will. Just people, that's all. No building, no building. Just people. But that really is the church. No building. But they said, we're going to build the temple of the Lord. We're going to set up the altar of God and build the temple of the Lord. We're going to build, if you will, if you understand, His church. The place where we can worship Him in spirit and truth. And because they were willing and God stirred their spirit up and they responded to that and they were willing to build the temple of the Lord. Do you realize that they affected generations to come? Because they were willing to leave that land of Babylon, say goodbye to their friends and some said bye to their families and said we're going back to that land that's been destroyed by fire and we're going to build the temple of the Lord. We're going to build a church. Because of that, Messiah could come and be born. Because of that, redemption could come. That's why I tell you, this is a brand new start. It's a Genesis. It's a new beginning in the, in the chapter of redemption, the book of Ezra, in Ezra 2. The generations that have been affected. Every time anybody is stirred by God in this generation to build the church, will affect generations to come. You think about that. Generations to come. If a generation comes and goes and that generation doesn't build the church for Jesus Christ, the generations that follow will fail. But you let a people, a people that are committed to building a church 
one church, one church built by that generation will affect generations to come. It's extremely important that every generation build a church. Thank God. When you made a commitment, you came into the kingdom of God and became a born-again believer, and you made a commitment to build the church of the living God. You, by that decision, affecting generations to come. That one decision to build a church. These people, some of them, so committed to that, the building of that church, the Bible tells us, after we have the record of the, the number of people who came back and the beast of burden. See, God even cares about temporal things that are connected to his people. He talks about the horses and the donkeys and, you know, beast of burden are connected to the family of God. I, I believe that he cares about what's connected to you, even though it's temporary. He records that, takes the time to record that. He talks about contributors, givers in the kingdom. And some of the chief of the fathers, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to set it up in his place. If you'll understand where I'm coming from, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the ultimate Ezra. He said he would build his church. He's building his church. But he's stirring up people, just like in the book of Ezra, stirring up people in this church to build his church to work with him, to labor with him, to build his church. People that are willing to make sacrifices to see a church built in their generation so that generations to follow can be affected by their sacrifice. You can't build a temple. You can't build a church without sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. And the chief, the Bible says the chief of the fathers, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to set it up in its place, its building. They knew it was going to take money, it was going to take finances. And they willingly gave of their offerings to the Lord to build that temple. See, the thing that all of you here tonight, as far as I know, not maybe, I can't say all, but the majority of you, you have. You have this down. That given to the Lord or giving to the Lord, your tithe and your offering is a spiritual obligation. It's not something you have to do, but you love to do. God loves a cheerful giver. And giving tithes and offerings is not on the fringe. It is a spiritual obligation of the person that's a part of God's covenant community. And these people understood that. And they said, we're going to bring an offering here so that we can build the temple of the Lord. Build the temple of the Lord. So we can establish the true worship of the true and living God back in Jerusalem again. And this happened, church, before they even built their own houses. These people right here brought their offerings before they ever started building their houses. They put the work of God first. 
Later on, when the temple is stopped, they stop building the temple, and the prophets Haggai and Zechariah have to be raised up by God to encourage the people, build, go forward, build. There's messages from Haggai. They're receiving the stripes of the Lord. Their, their, whole, their bags have holes in it. The money's falling out the bottom. They can't make ends meet. And the reason is because they've neglected the house of the Lord. But before that, we have example of people before they ever even built their own houses bringing their offerings to God so that God's house could be built. Sacrifice of people to have a church in their generation, to have a temple in their generation. Tells us exactly how much. It tells us they gave after their ability. They offered it freely. It was a free will offering. They gave after their ability under the treasure of the word. I say after their ability. In the New Testament, the Bible says, as God prospers you, that's how you give. As God prospers you. You know, God is so, he is such an awesome God. He's such an awesome, everything is, is uh, done right and in order. He puts, he puts one number, he puts, it's called a tithe, 10%, Okay. And connected with the 10%, he says, offerings. But everybody, everybody without exception can bring that same amount. 10%. You see? So that nobody, it doesn't matter if you make a million dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars or whatever, everybody is required by God to bring the same. He's not asking you to bring more than I bring. or He's not asking me to bring more than you bring. He's asking everybody or commanding everybody to bring 10%. And it's according as he prospers. The amount, the, the number of dollars is going to be different. But everybody is required by God to do the same thing. And the free will offerings, free will offerings are different. It says God stirs you up. Hallelujah. But they put, I'm just telling you, they put God's house first. Bringing those offerings to the Lord. And they, they were willing to make that sacrifice. Praise God. Amen. 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 And it says, according to their ability, New Testament, as God has prospered you. Isn't it beautiful? So the more God prospers you, the tithe, the 10% stays the same, free will offerings, whatever is added to that. But the more God prospers you, the more you get to bring to the Lord. You get to. You don't have to. You get to. It's an honor. It's an honor. It is an honor, absolute total honor to bring your tithe and offering to the Lord. And so I'm trying to say to you tonight, the example of these people were they had a spiritual obligation and they recognized it. I thank God for that obligation. I thank God for the opportunity. Gave according to their ability and to the treasure of the work, three score, one thousand grams of grams of gold and 5,000 pounds of silver and 100 priest garments. God knows exactly every penny that every one of you have ever given to the work of the Lord. It's recorded in heaven today. Every penny that you've ever given. It's not just on a church record, ledger sheet. It's in God's heavenly ledger sheet. Every nickel you've ever given to him is recorded. 
So the priests and the Levites and the and the and some of the people and the singers and the porters and Nethinims dwelt in their cities and all Israel in their cities. Praise the Lord. What a great God it is. I, I'm thankful to be able to teach you about some people that were stirred up by God to go back home to build the temple, the true worship of the living God, and how God established the order even in that small group of people to go back home and to do His work and to restore the things that had been destroyed in the past. God fulfilled His covenant promises and by covenant He allows them to go back to the land He made a promise to give them. He typified in Jeremiah to buy a piece of land at the time of the captivity that they would return. What a What a strange time to buy a piece of land. But God said this is a testimony by faith that someday this people will return and I will reestablish them in the land once again. And as a result of that Messiah will come. The true governor true Zerubbabel and the true Joshua king priest has come to redeem us and he's building a temple made out of human beings now and I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. Is your name in the list tonight as I come too close? Is your name in the list? Are you in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name in the list? Let's stand. Father, we come before you. We thank you tonight for your beautiful, beautiful book of Ezra. Thank you for giving us the Word of God that we may look at and compare what we're doing in your kingdom by it that we be established according to your order we thank you for allowing us to belong to something to belong to your church to belong in your kingdom that everybody has a place everybody has something they need to do even the common ordinary person in the community of faith. Even those, God, you stirred up to return. Every person in this church today, as they pray and as they ask you, what should they be doing? Reveal it to them, Lord. Reveal it to them. Reveal it to those that should be pastors. Reveal it to those that should be elders those that should be deacons, those that should be Sunday school teachers, those that should be ushers, those that should be people who maintain the building, the givers into the kingdom. Father, reveal to each and every one of us what we should do to perpetuate your kingdom in this generation that we might affect generations to come for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Good to see you tonight.